0: Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good Good morning. Welcome to all our weary travelers. I see some. Some of them look weary. but I see reuniting going on all around the auditorium. It's terrific. Uh, Good time of the year to have uh, family and friends together. I hope you've uh, started to enjoy that or will shortly. And uh, it's good to have some of our folks out that have been laid up for a little while. I see today. So it's a great gathering today. Glad the house is pretty full. I want to begin with a quote as we begin this series. You must not think, my friends, that Christianity has come, ta- come down to our times without a struggle. Nay, indeed, it took the nation at first by the irresistible force of its evidence. It was opposed by consolidated ranks of well-disciplined foes, learned, cunning, bold, and powerful were its enemies. The whole world reposing under the wings the protective wings of the most august of all the caesars with her healthful arms encircling all the nations polytheism with her myriads of temples and myriads of priests triumphantly seated in the affections of a superstitious people legislators magistrates Philosophers, orators, and poets all combined to plead her cause and to protect her from insult and injury. Rivers of sacrificial blood crimsoned all the rites of pagan worship, and clouds of incense arose from every city, town, and hamlet in honor of the gods of Roman superstition. When idolatry was at its zenith in the pagan world, the star of Bethlehem appeared idolatry on the throne and the founder of a new religion and a new empire lying in a manger. After 30 years of obscurity, he was found amongst a most contemptible group. And in the midst of of them, he uttered the most incredible oracle ever heard. I am about, says he, to found a new empire On the acknowledgement of a single truth, that he is the Son of God. And all the powers and malice of worlds, seen and unseen, shall never prevail against it. This dozen of individuals, with barely a penny apiece, assured that it pleased the ruler of the universe to give the empire to the world. Such were the army of faith, reviled and persecuted until their chief is rewarded with a cross and themselves with threats and imprisonment and eventual death. A throne in a future world animated them, and a crown of glory after martyrdom stimulated them. On they march from conquest to conquest Till not only a multitude of the Jewish priests and people But Caesar's very household in imperial Rome Became obedient to the faith of the cross Jerusalem falls Samaria is taken The coasts of Asia, maritime cities, islands and provinces Vow allegiance to a crucified king Mighty Rome is roused is shaken, is affrighted. Her pontiffs, her senate, and her emperor stand aghast. Persecution unsheathes her sword and kindles her fires. But the scheme soon defeats itself, for tis found that the blood of and the ashes of the martyrs are the seeds of the church. So the battle is fought till every town of note, from the Tiber to the Thames, from the Euphrates to the Ganges, bows to the cross. On the one side, superstition and the sword. On the other, almighty truth alone. Under these fearful odds, the truth triumphs. And shall the advocates of such a cause Fear the contest now? I wish I had written that, but that was written by Alexander Campbell, one of the very influential persons in the movement of Christians in recent centuries toward truth and truth alone, someone we're perhaps familiar with, we've taken up a mantle to know truth, to stand in an empire that is founded on one basic truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We must not think that our faith has come down without difficulty. It's been not only seeded but fertilized with the blood of our brothers and sisters. Even today, all across the world, this very day this very hour our brothers and sisters are imprisoned some will lose their lives today this very day for the faith of the cross in fact we though we know very little of this kind of persecution we are increasingly found in disfavor among the elites of our day and in our smaller circles In our workplaces and in our neighborhoods, we experience the repercussions of standing with a crucified king claiming that he now reigns in heaven above all men of the earth. We can find in this book of Revelation, which is one of the gemstones of our Christianity, which is a crown jewel of the Bible, closing our volumes in one volume with a great message, we can find that we can overcome whatever it is that we're facing, and that we win in every generation, in every place, in every place that you uphold His name, you prevail. why did john write this book the revelation has one grand theme and alan has touched on it victory in jesus victory in jesus but to comfort the christians in the reality of ultimate triumph the christians that he's writing to this book is not unlike job where God's people are suffering the loss of possessions and the loss of life, many of them are standing just days away from the heat of the flames and the terrors of the most dreadful beasts. It is now that the risen and reigning Christ calls upon the aged, imprisoned, and perhaps last remaining apostle, John, and says to him, come up here, I have something to show you about what I'm about to do. And I want you to write it down for the churches that they may endure. Revelation is a book of comfort to Christians. It shouts with acclamation, we win every time, always, over and over again. No matter what befalls you, you win in Jesus Christ. All the keys to understanding the book can be found in the first verses of the book. And without going into the many different ways of looking at the book and interpreting the book and explaining them all to you, which I can't, we're just going to look at the first three verses together and begin to understand how to read the book. It comes with instructions. In verses 1 through 3, we read, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Yes, there's a lot in here for us to know before we journey through its 22 chapters. Here is the chain of communication it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not of John. And we should be careful to say it's the revelation, not the revelations. For it begins and closes as one revelation to John, one unified vision though it has many different scenes within it. It's understood to be a revelation. God the Father has it, and he gave it to Jesus Christ to show to his servants, the churches, and he sent by his angel. And his angel had John in the spirit, always, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us our scripture. He was in the Spirit, and he signified it by this angel to John. That means it's in sign language, who wrote it down, what he saw for the Christians in the seven churches of Asia, specifically Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, these seven churches that are found in Asia, it's important for us to understand that as the book begins to be written to the seven churches, if you'll flip with me, I see many of you have Revelation open, that's necessary for this lesson and this series, to look at the last chapter and note in verses 6 and 7, as he is closing the book down that these remaining chapters, these last chapters, are still focused on this singular vision. In 22.6, he says, "'Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true, "'and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel "'to show his servant these things, "'which must shortly take place.'" Look at verse 16. "'I, Jesus, have sent my angel "'to testify to you these things, in the churches folks it's important for us to know that this book is written to those seven churches not just to us nor does it even really trans transform or translate into messages for all the christians in the future directly it's written for these seven churches beginning to end now what we're going to do as we do with all of scripture is to glean from it its principles It's to glean from it the words that we also, since we are the church, can apply to ourselves and cling to. The messages of victory in this book are also for us. But it's important when you're interpreting the book to understand that those churches will get it and they will understand what they read. They'll be able to understand this book better than we can. I believe unless we were there and know all of the nuances of the types of persecution, and the governance that they were under and the things that were happening. We, we just may not be able to fully understand all the details of what they understood. But certainly, we can see page after page what they're going through, who's in charge, and who wins, and what he told these churches to do to win. And that's what we're going to take home with us, Lord willing, every week. What's happening is... Satan is attacking the church with full fury through the agency of the Roman Empire. This is Rome versus the church of Christ. This is Satan versus Christ. And the time for judgment from the hand of God against Rome has come. It is near. It's at hand. It's soon going to happen. Some scholars have the date of the book in the late 60s AD under the reign of Nero who killed Paul and Peter. Some later under his grandson in the 90s AD. But there is evidence that a widespread persecution is underway, is taking place, and will continue to take place for many years into the future. But the Christians need to know, do we win? The thing I love about this book is that after you go through and you read the rest of Scripture, You come down to the end of it. If you still have a question in your mind, is this this really true? Is this really what we need to know? Will my conversion to Jesus Christ carry me through the day? It says, yes, it works. Yes, God lives, and yes, this is all worth it. Stick with it. When's it gonna happen? It's all to be understood to take place shortly. The time's at hand, judgment is at hand. Jesus is coming quickly. And in that context, Jesus is coming quickly means that he's about to judge Rome. Sometimes we take that and think, he said he was coming quickly, why isn't he here yet? And that's one of the many reasons why context is so important. I've showed you at the first chapter and the last. He's wanting them to see, I'm coming to deal with this now. He's coming quickly. It'll be swift. It'll be certain. The book finds its meaning in the fulfillment within the events of the day. However, glimpses into the throne room. And into the heavens are welcomed by us today, are they not? We've written many songs about these scenes that come from the book of Revelation. And the sovereign lordship of Christ is to be understood by us as continuing today. He's king of kings now. He's lord of all lords today as he was then. This is why it was imperative for the Christians of Asia to read, hear, and keep the words of the prophecy of this book and change not one jot or tittle of it. How should we read the book? We should read the book as sign language. There are symbols and signs in the book. Though it begins quite literally naming people, we know to exist God Jesus Christ his angels servants Christians in the first century John the Apostle is identified the place we find in the first chapter that he's talking about Rome we find that they're in Asia we find that he John is in Patmos the the ancient day Alcatraz Island imprisoned real people real places real things real happenings however he says Write these things to the churches of Asia. He does use some symbolic language in the letters. But the visions which he saw, which he said write in a book, become very symbolic in chapter 4. That's where the symbolic language really picks up. And you'll be able to sift through it and decipher what is literal and what is symbolic. In most cases, with little effort. So we shouldn't be intimidated church to study the book. I remember, uh, and still am intimidated by trying to understand all the details of the book. But I remember how relieved I was when someone taught through the book, and I, as a pupil, said, "Well, I can get I can get that. I can get the theme. I can get we win, and I can get what I need to do from this book, so it's very timely. Here is where these seven churches are located. This is in modern-day Turkey on the western coast, the Aegean Sea. And that little speck at the bottom left is the island of Patmos. It is still there. The ruins are still there. Prison can still be seen. And um, it's a real place. And that's where John is when the Lord comes down to him and says, come up here. And John gets to go on a journey to see some magnificent things. Let's read verses 4 through 8 together. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, a reference perhaps from Zechariah where God's presence in the Spirit is at His throne seeing all things that occur on the earth. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever amen. and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, and even those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Greetings from the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit greet you, He says. To Jesus Christ be glory and dominion, because He is the faithful witness who has come in God's name to make him known to men he is the one who came to declare the father john 1 18 which no man could do about whom when philip said can we see the father jesus said if you've seen me you've seen the father he's faithfully witnessed to the nature and to the love of almighty god to these people these christians and to us He is the one who is ruler over all the kings of the earth, who always has been, always is and will be Almighty God. He is the one who has washed us from our sins in His own blood, not in the blood of another sacrificial animal or another person, but in His own blood He washed us and He made us kings to reign with Him forever. And He gave us access to the Father as priests to His God and Father. He is whom all things are for. John wants to state that clearly in the onset of the letters. To Him be glory. That is why we do all things in this life. That's why you exist. It's why you wake up in the mornings. It's why you go to bed at night. He upholds you with His mighty hand. And all through your time in the day, He wants you to bring Him glory through who you are and who He's making you to be, to Him. All will see Him when He comes and will mourn because of Him. Immediate context, chapter 6, chapter 18, both say that when this judgment begins, the world is going to say, what is happening? What is happening to Rome? She's got her arms, as Campbell said, around us. We're we're living off of her fat. We're living off of of her wealth and riches. We're living off of her religions. We kind of like Rome to be the one empire of the world. As long as we are in complete submission to her, she takes very good care of us. What's happening? The world will mourn at the downfall of Rome but not the Christians. How the mighty mother city will be destroyed and with it the world economy and all will see the judgments against Rome, even they who pierced him, the Roman soldiers themselves or the Roman legions who hung him upon a cross personally or generally, they also shall see it. Verses 9 through 11, which began our scripture readings that Kevin read for us, John is both your brother and companion in this tribulation, he wants them to know. In the kingdom that is present while he's writing, not a kingdom which is yet to come, not a kingdom which has already passed with the coming of the Lord. He is in the kingdom now, he says, with you, the kingdom which cannot be shaken And he says he's on Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Not only was Jesus a faithful witness to his God and Father, but John also is a faithful witness to Jesus Christ and his God and Father. And he wound up in prison over it. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, he said, and I heard behind me a trumpet or a loud voice as of a trumpet. Let's talk about. Some of these things that are described here in the vision of Christ. John first saw a peculiar image of Christ walking amidst seven golden lampstands, which he says in verse 20, at the end of the chapter, are the seven churches. And I would propose to you that you're a golden lampstand, collectively. We are a golden lampstand in Pickerington, Ohio. And when you leave from here, Jesus wants you to be a lampstand wherever you go. And so we sing the song, right? Let it shine wherever you go, all around the neighborhood. Wherever you go, don't hide it under a bushel. A little kid's song, but it's coming from the power of these words right here. And he's walking in the midst of the seven churches, not above them, not below them, not way afar from them. But picture this, I am right in your midst. I want you to know first, I'm right here. I'm not a God who is afar off, but a God who is near. If you call upon me, I'll call upon you. If you draw near to me, James said, I'll draw near to you. I'm right here though. I'm right here in your midst. He was dressed like a high priest doing his mediating work. He's in high priestly clothing, standing on your behalf before God continually cleansing you in his blood so that you can approach the throne so that you can be accepted by God and so that you can walk away justified by God only because he's washed you from your sins in his own blood he wants the churches to know this his head and hair were white not with age but with the splendor of his righteousness and his purity his eyes like a flame of fire piercing indignant against Rome able to see into the hearts of all men whose hearts lay naked and open before him his feet were burnished brass ready to trample Rome we read uh, later as in the winepress of his wrath so, picture him putting Rome in a wine press, and not with modern day equipment, but in the old fashioned way of going in and treading out the wine press. And we sing this song. He's treading out the wine press of his wrath. His truth must march on in that song. It's a reference to this. He's going to judge them thoroughly. His voice was loud and powerful ready to speak and ready to cut both ways with his judgments nothing will escape no excuses will do no justifications now he's wielding a sharp two-edged sword it's not in his sheath it's not in his hand it's coming out his mouth and when he speaks Just like in the creation, it will happen. When he speaks, his word will not return to him void. It will act, it will cut, it will determine, it'll decide, it'll divide, it'll bring forth truth to the world. His words will not speak golden platitudes. They'll return to him, accomplished. He'll stand in the full radiance of the manifestation of God before them here and in verses 17 through 21 when John fell down for the first of several times before him this time as though he were dead poor John's knees must have been sore after this he fell down at his feet as dead but he laid his right hand on me saying to me picture this scene and then the gentleness will you Of the Christ reaching out to one of his children. That he's not going to judge in wrath. And laying his hand on him, his right hand. Do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. I hold the keys. Men don't determine eternality. Men don't determine Destinies. Men don't determine where your soul goes. I do. I have the keys to the afterlife. And he said, "Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this." So let's let's go, John. Let's get on it. John begins to write. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand are the seven golden uh, 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 and the seven golden lampstands. The stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. The Lord comforted him who will comfort all those who are faithful to him. The one who's in charge and has overcome death holds the keys to it, and those who have obeyed the gospel like John has will be spared or saved from it. Church, when we talk about being saved, we're talking about being saved from the wrath of God against sinners we're not just talking about something we do to obtain some nice benefits in this life as christians we have very nice benefits in this life as christians when we're together strengthening and upholding and edifying one another oh there's some tremendous benefits spiritually of praying to almighty god of having his spirit strengthen our spirit but he's talking about being saved from the wrath of god He reaches out his hand and puts it on those who have obeyed the gospel. He's in their presence. And he's preparing his saints for a coming battle. They're going to suffer casualties in this battle. That's why the comfort. That's why the comfort. They're going to suffer casualties. They're not going to just sit back and watch him smite everybody as in Egypt where not a finger was laid upon Israel. This is going to be something that when it begins, it's going to get worse before it gets better. His message of comfort is that no matter what happens to you, for example, in chapter 2, verse 10, be faithful unto and through death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Some of you may escape the sword and death. Some of you may escape the horrors of being fed to wild beasts. Some of you may not. And I want to comfort you either way. And make sure that you're ready to choose sides. Are you going to choose Rome and its gods? Some have. And he calls them out for it in the next couple chapters. Or are you going to choose Christ with persecution? You know that devilish accusation of Job is at work again here? Can't you just hear him saying to the Christians in this day, skin for skin. A man will give all that he has in exchange for his life. Can't you just hear him saying that again like he said about Job and Jesus is getting them ready? I want to close with another quote, this time from J.W. Farrar, from his book, History's Witness to Christ. Yet unaided by any, opposed by all, Christianity won. Without one earthly weapon, she faced the legionary masses. She made her instrument of a slave's agony the cross, a symbol more glorious than the latoclave of councils or the diadem of kings. Without eloquence, she silenced the academy. Yes, it was of God. They could not overthrow it. The catacomb triumphed over the Grecian temples. These obscure sectaries, barbarians, Orientals, and Jews as they were, fought against the indignant world and won The world's seductive ideals, and aren't they seductive? The world's intoxicating joys, and isn't there much happiness and laughter to be had in the world? The world's enchanting mythologies and dissolute religions all fled before a cross of wood. Yes, my brethren, Farrar says, because that cross was held by the bleeding hands of the world's true king who perfected the strength of his followers in weakness and having been lifted up, drew all men to himself. His truth, church, is marching on. Are you marching with it or against it? Are you standing with him as one of the lampstands and there shining with the saints, ready to persevere anything that comes your way? Or are you ready to cower and run toward the enchantments of today's Rome, of all of the Various religious thought and beliefs that might preserve you and save your skin. Our faith hasn't come to us without difficulty. It won't go into the future without difficulty. You may experience the difficulty to some level or another, but you're being called with these seven churches to gain the victory and overcome. Peter said this Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking who may he may devour. Let's be one who stands and is not devoured. Let's press on through the week. We could end the sermon series now with one lesson and you might take home some encouragement to gain the victory but it's a lot more enjoyable to go through and see, see how the lord chapter by chapter whips his en- enemies and gives you the courage and seeing how he does that and how his saints are exalted who humble themselves before him so we're going to do that today though if you need to be on his side why don't you let us know and we will help you become a christian we're going to stand and sing this song and if there's anyone that uh, needs to obey the gospel We'll we'll help you today to do that. Let's stand and sing.